The following episode was recorded live on YouTube for Adulting.TV Live. Welcome to Adulting, a podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Hello and welcome to this episode of Adulting.TV Live. My name is Miranda Marquit. With us today is Bez Stone. She is a sex educator and sex therapist. Coach. Coach. Yeah. Okay. She's a sex coach and a sex educator. I'm very excited. I hope that this is going to help my sex life in the long run. So (laughs) Bez, if you could tell us just a little bit about you and your coaching practice and sort of what you do uh, to help people. So like Miranda said, I'm Beth Stone. I'm really happy to be here. I am a sex educator and sex coach. And specifically, I help women and couples learn a new way to have sex that's actually more fulfilling for us as women. The way I got into this was because at age 30, so I'm 39 now, at age 30, I was in a marriage, I had two kids, and I actually thought my sex life was over. I had lost my sex drive. I had no real interest in having sex. And I used to be you know, in my 20s, a very sexually open person, sexually exploratory and enjoyed sex. But then something happened through the course of a long-term relationship and especially through becoming a mom that I hear happen over and over again in all of the women and couples I talk to. I mean, I hear the same exact story of the one that I went through. So after my relationship and my marriage ending pretty disastrously, I sought to create a new way of being sexual that actually worked for me And now I teach it to other people. So it's 100% the steps that I took to regain my sex drive and go from this, you know, confused, turned off, hopeless feeling woman who was, wasn't even sure if my body worked anymore or if, you know, I functioned normally to being someone who enjoys radically fulfilling sex. That's actually for me, you know, for my pleasure, not just because he asked me for it. So yeah, I do that in all kinds of ways. And we can talk about that, you know, more in the podcast, but I do it through education and through coaching. Okay. Very cool. You talked about having sex that you enjoy and that you do for your own pleasure. And this is so fantastic because this is for many women, the idea that we're even supposed to enjoy ourselves while this is Mm -hmm. happening is like, like mind blowing. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And I kind of know where you're coming from because I grew up in a very conservative religion where, you know, basically, you know, we were just told sex is great, but only after marriage Mm -hmm. and which is, you know, whatever, that's fine. That's cool. But at the same time, you know, you're inundated with all of these, you know, messages from popular culture and everything else that says, okay, Mm -hmm. women don't like it. They just tell us that we don't like it all the time. You know, you're just supposed to lay there and take it it's your duty. Uh, So, so how do you get beyond that? And and why are we there in the first place? Like, why are we Mm -hmm. even at this place where so many women are just thrown by the idea that they're even supposed to enjoy themselves? Great. I love this question. So there's, there's two main responses that I have to that. The first is that, like you're saying, regardless of upbringing, religion, just the culture that we're all steeped and brewed in as we're growing up, teaches us as women in particular that we do everything in our power to avoid putting sexual attention on ourselves. So we learn that receiving sexual pleasure is selfish. We learn that feeling it is either sinful if you're religious or just somehow weird, dirty, or wrong. 
we're not taught to put attention on our genitals. You know, most of us have never even seen them because we can't see them, you know, with our naked eye. So a lot of us don't even really know exactly, you know, what, what's actually going on down there. And we're really oriented as women away from ourselves and towards the other, right? So we're oriented towards giving, towards service, towards pleasuring other people. And the amount of shame that's been put on women's sexuality only reinforces this. So as a woman, whether you're 20 or 40 or 60 or 80, all of us have gained this conditioning, I call it, to really take our attention off of ourselves and put it on someone else. We think that we think that's what makes us good women. That's what makes us sexy, appealing, is that you know, we know how to give great blowjobs or you know, he finds this really appealing. And it's all based on him, right? Or her or they or whoever you like to have sex with. So that's the first go ahead. Oh yeah, well, go on. I was I, I was just I'm just gonna agree with you. <laughs> is that you know, we're trained to not look at our own sexual sensations. So when they come up, we look away from them. We look towards our partner and we're oriented towards giving. The second, yeah. which is the one I'm really passionate about, is that the framework in which we've all been taught to have sex actually isn't designed for how women's bodies really work. And this is why I say, like the title of this interview is everything you learn in seventh grade is wrong, because what we learn in seventh grade actually doesn't apply to women. So one of the other reasons why there's this stereotype that women don't like sex is not that women don't enjoy sex that feels good for us. It's that we don't like boring, repetitive, round the basis sex that isn't interesting. (laughs) Like That's actually (laughs) the sex women don't like. So when a woman comes to me and says, you know, here's what my sex life is like, and I've lost interest, what's wrong with me? I tell her, actually, you're having a very appropriate response. It'd be like, <laughs> I'm beating myself in the head with a club. Why don't I like this? And it's like, well, it doesn't feel good, right? Yeah, and I think that's very interesting. I had a partner not too long ago who, you know, like I said, I was very inexperienced in general. And it was one of the uh, very first partners I'd had after my ex-husband. And, mm-hmm. and my ex-husband was, in fact, my only partner up until after the end of my marriage. And so, and, and he was just like... He was like, and I don't know if this is accurate. You can tell me this is wrong. But as far as he was concerned, he was just like, he was like, because I was, I was worried. I'm like, oh, am I doing this okay? And how's this, you know, whatever. And he's like, he's like, stop worrying about me. He said, he said, as a man, I'm going to be happy with whatever. (laughs) He's like, just, he's like, I want, he's like, I want you to feel good. And I want you to just concentrate on your pleasure and Mm. not worry about any of this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hmm. Okay. That's a new, that's a new way to look at it. (laughs) It is. And it was much more fantastic when I stopped like worrying about that. And I guess maybe, and like you said, you know, of course my first thought here was, oh my gosh, I sound so selfish and horrifying because Mm of of this thought. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. I find that often is that, like you said, you know, I do a lot of blogging and people share my posts with their relatives or friends. And a lot of them report back to me that, you know, their sister-in-law read something of mine. And like you said, had one of that mind blown moments of like, you mean sex can feel good for me? Like as a woman, like one of the reasons I would have it is because it felt good for me. And I think that's this transition away from us as women being seen by ourselves and others as these service providers where we give sex to men, you know, and the stereotype is like the man chases after the, the reluctant woman for sex. And I think this is the most just awful situation that any couple can be in very rarely will they find satisfaction if we stay in that dynamic because, you know, just laboring under the delusion that women don't enjoy sex it isn't going to get anyone anywhere. What we need is to actually relearn how to have sex so that we enjoy it again. So what are some of the things that 
we're all just doing wrong. <laughs> what are some of the things awesome. that we've been doing wrong for years and that we need to fix? And how do we fix that? I know I've just put it all on you. Like fix everybody's sex life like right now. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> on the adulting podcast. It's That's 4 right. 11 here in California and your sex life is about to change. Which is great. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try this tonight. Let's do it. Good. Okay. Awesome. Actually, I can give you some very actionable things you can try tonight. Okay. So, but, but first let's start, let's start with what we're doing wrong yeah, <laughs> and how to, so that we can stay away from those things. Yeah. So the first thing that I always talk about in, in a lot of my work and a lot of my writing, you'll see me say over and over again, is that the number one thing that's killing women's libidos and bringing everyone much less sexual satisfaction than is possible is us adopting what I call the round the bases approach to sex. So if you remember in seventh grade, We all learned for some reason, well, I can tell you why we learned it actually in a minute, that sex goes in an order, right? So that you start with kissing, then you grope each other, then you touch each other's genitals. Oral sex is like maybe, I don't know what it is. It's like shortstop or something. It's like between third and home. You sometimes have it, you sometimes don't. It's some optional base. I never understood why that was. And then the goal is to get to home where you have intercourse definitely he climaxes, she might, you know, it's questionable. And then you're done, right? And that's what successful sex is, is having run around the bases, right? Did you learn this or adopt this mentality? Yeah, it's kind of the mentality that that we had. Um, You know, I mean, my sex education was completely different. My sex education was, here's what all of these STDs look like. Right, right. And we're not going to tell you anything about birth control or condoms. And that was totally. pretty much my sex. And here's this video that kind of shows like how conception works. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and really, so and really honestly, yeah, honestly, by the time I was done with it, I'm like, you put what, where, and why would I want to do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. So yeah, let's backtrack one more step backwards. So I appreciate you bringing that up, which is that most of us in sex education in seventh grade learn about disease and pregnancy we learn basically about sort of the negative consequences of sex. Nobody actually teaches us about pleasure, right? And that sex can be enjoyable and how to actually enjoy it, how to touch your partner in a way that they enjoy, how to approach sex in the way that you enjoy. I have a 14-year-old son also. And I remember when he was in seventh grade, we talked very openly about sex because I've been doing this work for years. But when he was in seventh grade and had his first sex ed class, I asked him what he learned about. Maybe he was even in fifth grade. He was young. And he said things like, yeah, there's an embryo and there's some white stuff that comes out. Like he was obviously talking about semen and somehow, you know, you get pregnant and you don't want to drink alcohol when you're pregnant. And this was really the, the things that had been impressed upon him in sex ed. And I said, well, the, did they talk about orgasm? And he was like, no, I don't know. What I, no, they didn't. I was like, did they talk about masturbation? Did they talk about, you know, and he was like, no, because he knew what that was at that point. And so, yeah, just like, so the very first thing, I guess, that, you know, we didn't learn in seventh grade sex ed is that the point of sex isn't just for procreation, which, I mean, it seems so basic, but it's true that we don't always teach our children and truly adopt for ourselves that sexual pleasure is okay. But it's not just okay, it's part of our health. It's part of what keeps us, especially as women, but as people of all genders, really vital and energized and relaxed and renewed. I mean, getting my sex life into a place where it was actually working for me has given me just astronomical levels of confidence in every area of my life, not just in my bedroom. So I'm really a firm believer that when we are having fulfilling sex and able to receive sexual pleasure as women, it actually benefits us all over the place. So yeah, that's the very first thing that sex ed is doing wrong. 
which right. is only teaching about STDs, pregnancy, and, you know, tampons. I mean, this is all important, right? Like everyone needs to like pull the pads out and stick them to your forehead like you do in seventh grade, right? At least that's what we did in my seventh grade. Sex Man, sex. I want your seventh, your seventh grade sex ed class was still way better than mine. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I'm, I'm Jewish and I went to a public school. So yeah, it was a little bit of a different upbringing. So beyond that, let's say what most of us learned, or many of us learned, I'll say, you know, from our peers was this kind of round the basis approach to sex that said, you know, here are the metrics basically you have to hit in order to have had successful sex. You've got to kiss, you've got to touch her, you've got to finger her or give him a hand job or give him a blowjob or something. And then you have intercourse and the intercourse is the ultimate goal, right? Intercourse and climax are always the goal. Like that means that we did it, right? Now, the problem with this is that approaching sex when there's this sort of expectation and goal in mind actually over time inhibits women's sex drives. It inhibits women's sex drives because the only model of pleasure that we learn, whether maybe you didn't learn it in seventh grade, so I said, but that many of us learned maybe in high school, maybe in college of the graph of orgasm, right? right? We've all seen the linear graph. It goes up, excitement, arousal. Maybe there's a plateau in there. There's climax. And then you come down. Boom. Yeah. Right. And that's what we've been taught orgasm is and sex is. And that's how all of our movies are made. You know, books are written. It's this very linear experience. Now, for most women and many people of all genders, that's not actually how our orgasm works, right? And I gave a TED Talk on this. If any of you haven't seen it, you can, it's on my website. You can find it all about the difference between masculine and feminine orgasm, which is that for women, I don't know about you, but for me, at least, I have almost never had an orgasm that started out smoothly and just neatly progressed towards climax. (laughs) And then it worked. I mean, that was not my experience, right? It was like, it was here and then it was gone and then I was so close and then it went away and then I was like crying and then I was upset with him and then I wanted to fall asleep and then like finally maybe you know I climaxed after like 45 minutes and then I mean it's just nothing like this sort of typical graph that we see right and when we don't actually include that very different perspective of what arousal is like then women are basically getting left behind in the sexual experience and trying to conform our bodies into a model that absolutely doesn't work for us. And that over time um, really puts us into the mode of being a performer right? and doing it for him instead of actually having sex for us authentically because it feels good, not because it looks good. Yeah. And that's interesting that you mentioned that too about, um, you know, we, we, we try and make our bodies conform because mm-hmm. one of the things that I've noticed as I've done a little research on this and, and read a little bit, basically, basically the female body is like built for like all sorts of pleasure in all sorts yeah. of places. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're basically just designed to enjoy everything about this experience. Yeah. And so the fact that so many of us are plagued with issues related to our bodies, with what we're supposed mm-hmm. to be doing. And then like you were talking about this performer perspective where, you know, success isn't, Hey, I've enjoyed myself and we've had a mutually good time. Successes. Did the other person have a great time? Exactly. And do they think I'm, do they still think I'm sexy? And exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so what are some things then that, that, that people of all genders can do to just start enjoying their sexual experiences more. So there's a couple that I want to touch on here. The first is what you were just talking about. So one of the first things I do with couples who come to me uh, or single people who come to me wanting to really change their sex life is look at just what you were saying. Why do you currently have sex? 
like, and what are the, the things that you think need to happen in order for sex to have gone well? Because one of the things I'm really out to change is our very definition of sex going well, right? For now, for most of us, sex went well if we had intercourse and either one or both of us reached climax, right? Like that's usually what people think when they think sex goes well. They might also say something like, I was happy, right? The whole time. I looked hot the whole time. Like he found me attractive. She fell in love with me deeper. Like I stayed hard the whole time. You know, whatever our um, concepts are that we think we need to, those checkboxes that we think we need to hit in order to make sex go well. Most of those are actually limiting our enjoyment of sex in the moment. Because instead of being in our bodies where the pleasure is, we're in our heads thinking, is my stomach fat? Are my boobs too saggy? Like, do I smell? Um, when did I last take a shower? Does he even like this? Do I even like this? Is sex supposed to feel like this? I don't even know if I've ever liked sex in my life. It takes me too long to come. Are my kids going to walk in? Like, what about that test I have on Friday? I mean, literally, we're doing everything but being in our bodies, enjoying ourselves, right? Have you had this? I mean, this used to be how it was. Oh, for yeah. Me. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Like, you have a whole... Yeah. Well, it just takes me back to that that movie, uh, what women want where, you know, he can hear their thoughts. And like, there was that mm-hmm. scene where she's just like, <laughs> her, her, oh my God. her mind is just like, not there. And she's just yeah. like, it's going to be over. <laughs> and exactly. she's thinking about what she needs to exactly. do tomorrow and mm-hmm. what's on TV. And yep. The to-do oh, yeah. list. Yeah. The to-do list. And it's true that when we have sex in that way, women do feel relieved when it's over because it's not actually enjoyable, right? It's not because they don't like sex. It's because that way of sex actually takes work because we're stuck in our heads trying to manage the experience and make sure it conforms to how we think sex is supposed to go. So if I'm having sex in what I call sort of the old, this old round the bases model of sex, I'm constantly in my head thinking, is this progressing quickly enough? Um, What's Mm -hmm. the next thing we're supposed to do? Am I doing this right? What if I don't want to do the next thing yet or at all? How do I navigate that? What if I don't want to like... Okay, I think I can say dick then, but I can't say. Oh that sure, yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm yeah, actually, yeah. I actually think <laughs> technical PG thirteen. You can say fuck one time, so we'll see. That's actually what I've read as the standard definition. I, I really wouldn't. But know. you can talk about the act of doing it in that way. It just can be one sort of expletive. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so for most of us, you know, because we have this script in our heads of how we're supposed to be behaving, looking, sounding, right. Mm-hmm. Am I making enough noise? Does he, does he know I'm enjoying this? Am I enjoying this? Should I be louder? You know, it's all, it's management. It's not enjoyment. So what I've found is that the reason we get stuck in our heads is because we're trying to hit those bases or trying to hit those metrics. We can actually, you know, do the work to rearrange and remove all of our expectations from sex and say, hey, instead of getting into bed and trying to do this, you know, typical re- repeatable act that mm-hmm. ultimately after, you know, 40 years is really boring because we've done it 10,000 times. <laughs> what if we got into bed? And this is what I do now and what I teach people how to do. What if we got into bed and just started connecting and we, neither of us had any idea what was going to happen? So it might be hot and passionate. I might be tired. I might cry the whole time. I might want to kick him in the face. He might Ooh, I can't say that word again. You know, we might have, <laughs> I blew it, man. I blew my usage of the F word. You know, we, we could have all sorts of various sexual experiences of different intensity. Let's just say that and, and find God, or it could be, you know, kind of a quiet night and you don't actually know. And that's part of what makes sex interesting in the type of way that I do it and teach it 
is that you get into bed and you don't know what's going to happen. So it's kind of like going on an adventure instead of, you know, checking the boxes, which is right. what we, most of us want. And when we let it be an adventure and we let it be um, unique every night or every you know, week that we do it, then instead of being in our heads managing, we're actually in our bodies feeling each other and feeling you know, what's here now and how does it feel when you touch me and what do I want next? Mm-hmm. And there's absolutely no you know, order or boxes that you need to check. So that's the first thing I would say is examine your own assumptions. Oh, there's someone else here. Hey. Hello. Hey, Harlan's made How's it. it Hooray. <laughs> But yes, so, go on. So we're having yeah. an adventure now. We're having we're an having adventure. adventure <laughs> so the first thing is to examine those reasons why we have sex. Like what are, what are the specific, beyond just reasons actually, like how do you think you have to be in order to have sex have gone well? Okay. And actually list them out, you know, so that you actually start to get, so people, if you want to do this at home, actually start to get real with ourselves about, you know, the unrealistic expectations that we've set up. Like I have to look hot every time have to be in a good mood every time if you want a long-term relationship you're not going to be in a good mood every time you want to have sex like that's not happening so if you wait to be in a good mood for a lot of people they just stop having sex so what i always say is don't get in the mood for sex instead learn how to have sex in the mood you're in because i believe every state is 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 ripe with you know potential for pleasure and connection so that's the first thing the second thing attached to that that you can try tonight, Miranda, and maybe you, Harlan, I don't know what your sexual situation is, but Miranda is going for it here I'm ready. Tonight. I'm ready to go for She's it. ready. All right. Okay. <laughs> what you can try is actually removing any of the goals you have from your sexual experiences. And this is not an easy task. So, you know, it's easy for me to say right now, but as you actually approach that, so like we talked about a few minutes ago in this um, model of sort of this linear version of climax and this round the bases sexual approach where we're trying, we're like driving for home, right? Mm -hmm. What ends up happening is that um, we skip over and don't get to go on the adventure, right? It's like, it's just like racing past the scenery to get home as opposed to actually enjoying what we're doing in the moment. So one of the hugest transitions that I made in my personal sex life and that I help couples make is actually what if you touched each other with no goal? And most people have never had that experience in their lives. They have no idea what it feels like to be touched or, you know, to have oral sex, to receive or give oral sex. Like what if you received oral sex tonight, Miranda, and your partner wasn't trying to make you come? Like how different would that be? How would they even touch you? Like what would they do, right? Because the only reason most of us have oral sex is to make the other person come. Like that's why we do it. I mean, some people don't, but for the majority of us. And what I've found is that we get to experience a whole lot more, um, you know, varied pleasure and sensation and connection and just interesting territory when we're touching each other to have each other feel good as opposed to touching each other with an outcome. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. And I I like how you're talking about, you know, not worrying about the goal. And (laughs) because I think a lot of us, especially like, like I'm kind of a goal oriented person. And mm-hmm. so you, <laughs> Me too. you're kind of yeah. like, you gotta get, get us done, back. Right? <laughs> but, but I really like what you're saying there too, with, you know, about not having that goal, not having to think about it as much and not going in with this preconceived idea of what you should be doing. Cause I think a lot of the problem too comes down to, you know, I loved how you were talking about moods too, because mm-hmm. like, I mean, there were like, times in my married life where I'd just be like, well, it's been about two weeks, so I probably ought to do this. (laughs) So now it's time to try and set the mood. And 
And I think all of the stuff that you're talking about be really helpful for everybody involved. Yeah, because what happens when, so this is very common, right? And I used to do this in my marriage. I hear about it from couples all the time. They have sex on a schedule. Nice. And they think they're doing themselves a favor. And I've heard it so far, taken so far as one couple who I, um, when I started working with them, I asked them about their current sex life. And she said, well, I give him sex five days a week and then I get two days off. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you can hear. Yeah. But this is, you know, and, and this is very common. Yeah, it's what you, well, it's like what you were talking about too earlier when you're yeah. like, it's work. It's like, it's yeah. like, yeah. It's, it's like the thing on your to-do list, go to shopping, get dinner on the right. table, put the kids to bed. Now I'm going to go have sex. And finally I'm going to get right. to go to sleep. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. right. Women, you know, often feel relieved when it's over. We try to make, you know, him come sooner, honestly, and get sex over with so that we can do what we want to do, which is like, <laughs> read our book, empty the dishwasher, come up with our cat, like watch TV, right? <laughs> that's, that's me with the book. I'm just like, um, I, I'm like in a good part of the book. Can we just get <laughs> Yeah. And so the reason it feels like that is because we're not having the type of sex that actually nourishes us. So it does cost us. Like when women in particular, well, all of us aren't having nourishing sex that actually replenishes, energizes, and feels good for us, it is work. And so it's output. And so it does take a certain amount of, you know, willpower to have it and then a period of recovery afterwards because it's work. So what I'm teaching people is to go away from sex as work and towards sex as, as actual pleasure. There's something else I was going to say. Oh, yeah. So what happens when couples have sex on a schedule or when you hit that point where you're like, it's been a week, you know, we better do it, <laughs> is that over time, as you've seen in your own marriage, right, or your ex, your former marriage, that what that does is actually reinforce the notion that women don't like sex Mm -hmm. and also build resentment in her at least and probably him too that you know sex is something she has to give him it's like another mouth to feed right Mm -hmm. and if that keeps happening over time resentment builds and power struggles start and at that point you know i can pretty much predict if a couple doesn't turn things around that you know they're going to grow apart someone's going to have an affair and they're going to get divorced because that's what i did and I see it over and over again at this point. Couples come to me when one of them's had an affair and I'm like, this is just cookie cutter American, you know, down the drain sex life. Like there's nothing yeah. unique about that. And I pretty much predict it at this point. I very much don't recommend, you know, having sex on a schedule and I don't recommend getting in the mood for it because that also, like you said, you have to put on this performance. What I say to my clients or I'll say to you now is that I... And I've been doing this, you know, for five years extensively. So I'm not saying that everyone should be able to do this tonight. But for me, (laughs) after having done this work for so long, I'm willing to have sex with my partner pretty much or be sexual, I'll say, pretty much with my partner anytime because uh, nothing specific needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Like really sex to me now means we're going to get in bed. We're going to start connecting it could last for five seconds or five hours. I don't really know because we haven't started yet. So how could you know, right? It's like, we're going to take this adventure together and we don't know the outcome. That's the point of an adventure, right? Right. And so, you know, n- nothing needs to happen. I don't have to make him come. I don't have to be happy. Um, we don't have to have intercourse. I don't have to give him a blowjob. He doesn't have to go down on me. You know, we don't have to be smiling. I don't have to look hot. <laughs> I can actually just be myself and show up and connect with you, which is this radical notion, you know, that we could just show up and connect with each other sexually Wait, what? with no agenda human being? to actually enjoy ourselves. <laughs> it's like, I don't know why we started doing it this other way. Cause it sucks in my opinion. Like, it just sucks. It's, yeah. it's not any fun for anyone, especially over time. 
Yeah, I think I really like this key of having no expectations. You have no expectations going into it and anything can happen and there's you don't feel like the, the pressure to perform in, in such a way that really, really can dampen the mood. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what are some of the other things that you can do to kind of get away from like this old way of, of viewing sex? Like what are some things that you can uh, maybe practice doing as well? Like are there any... Mm-hmm. Are there any like super secret moves? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is great. I explicitly don't teach sex technique. Perfect. I'm actually very wary of sex technique and I wouldn't <laughs> recommend following them for the most part because what they do is actually put you back in your head mm. because you're mm. trying to do it right. So anything that is a sex approach that's about doing it right, I think will ultimately backfire. It may produce, you know, like a week or a month of something hot because you're like, ooh, I, I learned this new blowjob tip, right? And so you're going to try it and maybe you liked it, maybe he liked it. And so it's sort of this flash in the pan. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't actually give us at least what I'm looking for and what I hope for all people, which is this inner sense of I want to touch you because it feels good for me, not I want to touch you so I feel like a good person and don't feel like a failure and we don't get divorced, <laughs> right? Like. <laughs> You just touch someone very differently when you're doing it for your own pleasure, not so that you don't get divorced. Like those are just really different situations, right? So a lot of the techniques, you know, they might work temporarily, but they have a stay in our heads because we're thinking, okay, I'm supposed to like lick twice and then circle my tongue and then like grab his balls or, you know, like what's the order and I'm thinking, and if I'm thinking in sex, I'm not enjoying myself because I don't want to think. Like thinking in sex is, is hell, right? You're just like so self-conscious and it's not working. And, you know, how long is this supposed to take? And should, when do I stop? And I don't know. It's just, it's very complicated. So your question reminds me of, I went out to a dinner in San Francisco. I live in the Bay Area of California with a bunch of women and who were new to my work. And one of them asked me, we started talking about sexting because, you know, this is a topic that a lot of people are interested in. And one of them asked me, you know, what are your tips, right? Like, what's the right butt angle (laughs) so that it looks the hottest? Or like, what are your lighting techniques? (laughs) And I was like, I don't offer any of that, actually. What I want to say about sexting is the reason to do it is because it turns you on. Like, Like, the effect it has on him or on your partner is actually secondary, I believe, to the effect it has on you. The reason to send a hot picture is because when I do it, I feel excited. Like, that's the only reason I send them to my partner. And therefore, really what I'm showing my man is me turned on. Like, that's what actually what he wants to see. Like men, and you know, Harlan, you can verify this if you feel comfortable or tell me your opinion. I don't actually (laughs) want to see necessarily like cookie cutter plastic women who are, you know, porn-ish moaning. I mean, porn's hot, you know, and men like it. But truly, like that sort of performance isn't nearly as fulfilling. <laughs> We're going farther than you normally go on this podcast. Is that what I'm? That no, it's cool. It's cool. No, I would really it's, like. It's, it's great. Come, come on, Harlan, tell us. Yeah, well, it's, it's hard for me to get into uh, joining in late. It's kind of hard for me to get into the conversation. I personally, I can't get into sexting from the position of me sending pictures of me or me saying things over to I, I just can't I, I have never been able to to do that or phone sex or anything like that it just it doesn't feel it doesn't feel right to me it doesn't feel natural it feels forced so I, I don't do that I do however appreciate it coming in mm-hmm. good <laughs> in my direction so I don't yeah. I don't know I mean you know it just hasn't been something that has clicked for me 
Right. Is, is that is that something that you find in in your clients or in other people or or am I just weird? <laughs> well, you you probably are weird, but that's know. why I but like yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> I like. I mean, we're all. I like the weird ones, but no, I think that's. I mean, a it's very common to hear men enjoying you know visual stimulation more than women do. Like mm-hmm. one of my coworkers or colleagues in this sort of sex and relationship coaching industry was talking about the difference between men and women visually. And I was saying, Hey, I appreciate like my man has the best arms on the planet. Like they are <laughs> gorgeous. It's one of the reasons we're together. He's also a fantastic person, but his arms were really the thing that attracted me to him at the beginning. So I was sort of arguing with this guy, but he said, but would you pay money for a photo of his arms? And I was like, that's would be ridiculous. Right. right. <laughs> so as a woman, I'm not going to pay money to look at a picture, even of the greatest arms on the planet. But as a man, you know, based on the sales of porn, we know that men will pay money to look at women. Oh, so you don't have to pay very, anything anymore. The days of paying for porn are long gone. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> but we'll consume it, you know, more yes. freely. Yes. Right. But the second I, thing you yes. bring up is more interesting to me, which is that, if sexting doesn't turn you on, then don't do it, right? Because right. the reason, like I said, to send it is because I want to show my partner me in a turned on mm-hmm. state. I don't want to use it to elicit a response from him. I want to actually let him see me turned on because ultimately that's the most arousing thing that I think we can do mm-hmm. for each other is less about, you know, the right butt angle and like perfect lighting. <laughs> and it's more about like, here's me, like vulnerable, excited, a little bit nervous, exposing myself to you. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know of anything in a, in a long-term relationship where you're actually going for connection, not just, you know, pizzazz. I don't know anything more appealing than that. That makes sense. I think like my main hang up with that is the whole pictures out there mm-hmm. <laughs> type situation. <laughs> yeah. I think that has to be, and, and actually I, I kind of want to use this to move on to something else to talk about too. Because and it's not just, you know, with the sexting, but with any sort of sexual relationship, there has to be a lot of trust there, right? Mm-hmm. Because like if if you're gonna send racy pictures to somebody, you've gotta you've gotta hope that they're not gonna be putting them online tomorrow or mm-hmm. that they're going to be saving them and then destroying you with them when you break up. I mean, that's mm-hmm. I mean, there's some serious trust there, but then also, you know, you talk about being vulnerable and you talk about yeah. trying things and going in there and saying, okay, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you really kind of have to trust somebody. So how do you build that trust? How do you get to that level? Well, I think predominantly the first and foremost thing that, that I've discovered is it's more important that I trust myself than him. And that sounds really hokey, you know, and sort of stayed, but I'll explain it more. And that's that one of the problems that I see, particularly for women, is that our sexuality is somehow outside of us, right? We've given it to someone else, whether it's the church or society or a man or our parents, you know, there's somebody who owns our sex. It's not us. And so when someone else sort of owns, if that makes sense, your sexuality and your choices around sex and your pleasure and your desire, if it's dependent more upon that person than on you, it's actually a really unsafe situation to be in because you can neither say yes or no freely. And you're sort of at the whim of this person who owns your sex. Like if society says sex is wrong, don't do it, then you don't, right? If the church says sex is wrong, don't do it. You don't, even if you might want it. If your partner says, um, I want sex now, or I want a blowjob now, give it to me. Then you do it, whether you actually want to or not. And if your partner says, Hey, I'm not interested in sex, but you are, you don't know how to ask for it. So that's the sort of, basic level of needing to actually own your own sexuality, your sexual desire, and your experience instead of giving it to someone else. 
So as far as trust goes, though, what I've found to be the thing that builds the most trust for me is actually me fully embodying my own sexuality. So it's no longer up to anyone but me. And I understand how, how important it is for me to not override my desires, to not act out of obligation or go into this performance mode, to actually approach sex in a way that works for me. Because I know from experience that if I don't do that, I will hate him in anywhere from one month to 10 years. Like There's absolutely no way that I can maintain love and intimacy with a man if I'm having sex with him when I don't want to. Like It's not possible. So I know the cost now. So it's very motivating. So I could be in the middle of a sexual experience and just say, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to change something. This isn't working for me. Here's what I do want. And I feel very comfortable doing that because I trust myself and I've practiced, if that makes sense. So yeah, it's important to trust our partners too, if we're going to get vulnerable. But I think it has to start with us, particularly as women really embracing our sexual design and no longer, uh, you know, trying to conform to his so that he doesn't leave us, but actually realizing that the minute we conform, like it, like it's already over. Like you're already starting down the descent towards breakup. So it sounds like you're saying your question. Yeah. It sounds like you're saying that the key to connection and trust is sexual agency. And that's Mm. true, whether you're a man or a woman, I think. Definitely. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Because when we both have agency, that's a great word for it, um, then we're able to connect as equals, right? And we're able to actually partner around how do we want to explore this together tonight? What actually works for me? What doesn't? Like it becomes much less of a theatrical, like I better, you know, put the feathers on and like make sure that I keep this thing hot the whole night, uh, which ultimately is exhausting, right? And instead becomes, you know, a partnership where, yeah, it may seem sort of less sexy at the beginning because we're having conversations and I'm sending you sort of less photoshopped, you know, nude pictures of me. But in the end, you know, <laughs> what I found is that we actually get real connection and intimacy, which is what I want, you know, and and, it, and I get sex that doesn't feel like work, but that actually turns me on and that I do because it feels good for me, not just because, you know, my partner has asked me five days in a row and I finally relent. How much compromise do you think is uh, warranted in a relationship where, you know, perhaps one partner has different turn-ons than the other partner? And how do you find a balance? And you might've discussed this again. I, I entered no, this question late, so. I'm okay. wondering if I'm happy to answer that, but I'm curious if you could give me a specific example. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is not me specific. What if one partner enjoys, you know, a certain location? Like, again, this is not necessarily me. I'm just pulling this from somewhere. Like, mm-hmm. say, sex in the shower. And mm-hmm. the, the apart- other partner, you know, perhaps that's, you know, maybe the only thing that really gets them going. And the other partner is just, uh, you know, that, that doesn't help them at all. Is that like a sign of, you know, maybe we're just not compatible or do you have, you know, is there any way you can try to compromise or do you just explore to perhaps find some other things that might Mm -hmm. work for two people? Yeah. Awesome. That's a great question. So first and foremost, I'm not really a believer in compromise in general. Like I don't tend to think it brings people closer together, at least at the onset. So um, what I would say to that first, which we spoke about, a little bit at the beginning, Harlan, before you were here, which is this this notion of sex being goal-oriented and of having these metrics, like these checkboxes that we have to hit. 
So even the way you phrase, and this is very common, you know, even the way you phrase like sex in the shower gets me in the mood or gets me going, uh, sort of presumes this model of sex where, you know, the point is to get aroused so that we can slingshot towards intercourse and climax, right? Mm, and that right. if I'm not in the mood and, or I don't get going, that I'll somehow lose momentum, sex won't work, whatever that means, which usually means like I lost my erection, she didn't get wet, we didn't fuck. Oh, I got to say it again. It's no longer PG-13. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we didn't come and therefore we failed, right? Right. So when we're operating in that model that you could fail at sex, which I don't believe in, I don't actually believe you can fail at consensual sex. I think it's all an exploration and you just get to, you get to gather data, right? You're exploring ambiguous territory and you just gather data the whole time that you're connecting. So, you know, the question at first presumes like there's this right way to do it. I have to be sort of aroused or get hot so that I can successfully accomplish my goal. So that's the first thing I would point to if a couple came to me with that in mind. The second mm -hmm. thing I would say is that when couples don't want to give each other what they want, it's almost always because one of them is depleted and resentful. Mm -hmm. Like when, when you're actually, when I'm actually feeling harmonious, adored, nourished, turned on. I'll do, I want to do whatever my partner wants. Like I love him and I think he's, he's gorgeous and he treats me really well. So I want to give him what he wants. I might not want to every time, but for the most part, if he says, Hey babe, I want to try something new with you tonight. Are you open? I'll say, sure. I would, I'm willing to try it. A, because I know I can stop it at any time and B, because I'm not his service provider, just doing the thing that he needs, right? I'm actually turned on. And I'm turned on and I'm, sex is no longer work. So usually when people are in the situation you're in where, you know, one wants something and the other doesn't want it and they're fighting about it, it's actually because something deeper hasn't been addressed, which is that, you know, one or both of them has been compromising for too long mm -hmm. and sex has moved from this enjoyable experience mm -hmm. to this power struggle. And that actually is what has to change. Once that changes, couples get all kinds of exploratory and they want to try things, you know, new things to do because it's an enjoyable process instead of this negotiation. Does that somewhat answer your question? Absolutely. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so no. the other thing, the last thing I want to say about that is that I would not say that that couple was sexually incompatible based on that either. Like that wouldn't be a defining factor for me. I would say, though, that they need a re-education in how to have sex. But we all do. Right. Mm -hmm. That's why you're here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now, now I do find though sometimes that even when like, for lack of a better phraseology, even though I, th I learned this is the wrong way to say it, but even when I'm in the mood, <laughs> but mm -hmm. even, even when, even when I want to do it or I want to uh, please my partner or I want to, you know, whatever. Sometimes I think I like have a lower interest in actual sex like then, intercourse, you mean? Yeah, no, just, just, yeah, or in general, just, mm -hmm. I don't really care for people in general. So, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's, he's my interest <laughs> in, my interest <laughs> in actually interacting with somebody on that level is, so, so what do you do like when you're in that situation where you're just kind of like, where it's, it's not so much you don't like the person or you don't want to do it or you're, you know, you don't enjoy it or maybe, you know, maybe you really do enjoy it, but you know, you're just really, I just want to read a book and I don't want to be bothered. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, and do you find that causes problems in your relationship? It does not currently since I don't, you know, I'm mostly single and yeah, mostly single, <laughs> but, occasionally partnered temporarily. 
<laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> So in the past, you know, I I have noticed that uh, my partner is usually more interested than I am and and not so much that I don't enjoy it or I don't like it or I don't want to try something Mm -hmm. new. It's just a lot of the time I'm just kind of like, I'd rather just go to like, there are so many other things I'd rather be doing. Like if I had a list of things I would rather be doing with my time, (laughs) sex is usually never at the top of that list. And I don't know whether, because, you know, and that's a real thing though, right? That, you know, yeah. there, you know, you have different levels of interest in it. Mm-hmm. No, I believe that's true. I think that everyone, of course, has their own, you know, perfect mm-hmm. sex drive, whatever that may be. I also think it fluctuates throughout our lives right. and, you know, depending on our circumstances. So a few things I'll say about that though are, you know, I'm kind of repeating myself here, but I believe it so strongly <laughs> that when, when people don't want to have sex with each other consistently, um, it's usually because what you think of when you think of sex is work mm-hmm. and not appealing, right? So if someone said to me, my partner even, hey, and I have a, just naturally have a, a super high sex drive, which is probably why I'm in the field that I'm in. So I, I like to have sex. Um, it's on the top. It's, it's near the top of my list, but it didn't used to be when sex right. meant something that I didn't want, right? So when, if my partner said, hey, Bez, I want to have sex with you. And what that means is, you know, you need to do X, Y, and Z. So you need mm-hmm. to like moan really loud, look really hot, you know, never fart the whole time or whatever our things are, you're not allowed to do. You have to suck my dick, you know, you have to make me come and then whatever, like, I don't know, you know, if it was just this prescribed sort of plan, that doesn't sound very appealing. I wouldn't, I'm like, that doesn't sound like fun at all. Like I wouldn't say yes to that. That's if I thought that's what sex meant over time, I would be like, ugh. That's that planned out work thing that is no fun and isn't focused on me at all or my enjoyment in any way, right? Yeah. So really, it's not that women don't like sex. It's that what we think sex is, we don't like, and we shouldn't because it's not very interesting, right? So that would be the first thing I would say. And the second thing, you know, this may or may not be true for you. And I fully honor that some people are celibate and asexual their whole lives and very satisfied with that. So there's no, you know, right way to be as far as sex goes. But what I will say somewhat controversial, but I've been doing this for five years and I see it over and over again, is that when I work with couples, by the end of the time working with me, she wants more sex than he does almost unilaterally. And couples, when I start with them, they're like, we haven't had sex in six months. You know, she's breastfeeding. She hates me. Like, I'm constantly <laughs> hounding her for sex. And I say, just work with me, do my program, you know, start undoing all these mm. strange and debilitating, you know, beliefs we have about sexuality, see what happens. And then I can guarantee within a certain amount of time, this one couple I'm thinking of in particular, he called me and he was like, you know, six months later. And he was like, it happened. <laughs> I said, what happened? He's like, she just kept coming after me being like, I need you. you know, he'd be like, can we talk about it? She was like, I don't want to talk. I just want to have sex. And he was like in the corner, like hiding. And she was like, give it to me now. You know? And that's actually, I think, more common than we allow it to be. And there's actually some, you know, awesome research studies coming out about true women, you know, women's libidos that counter everything we've thought to be true. You know, where it's the stereotype that, you know, he's sexually ravenous and she's reluctant and he needs to seduce her so that she, you know, forgets her prudish ways and wants to have sex with him. And that's actually not true at all. Like I said, what I found is the opposite, which is once women learn and couples learn a new way to have sex that actually feels good for us. Women hunt him. You'll hunt him down to have sex because it actually feels good. 
right? It's like eating the best dessert you've ever had or going on like a 20 minute vacation. It's like, I want to do that now. Like, again, twice. <laughs> because it has, it has a payoff for me, right? It doesn't cost me, it benefits me. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll work on it and see how things go. But, <laughs> but I don't know. I just, for me, I guess just people in general or work, which <laughs> translates to sex involves, um, well, you know, it doesn't always have to involve people, I guess. Right. That's true. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a new avenue for me to explore sex without people. <laughs> Well, I might like it more. (laughs) Yeah, you might. And and, there's lots of options there for you, for sure. And if you wanted to connect with a person, and you know, I honor, like I'm an extrovert, if you hadn't guessed, and maybe you're an introvert. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. And so, so, you know, you may have a very different um, way that you enjoy connecting. But, But what I still believe is true, or what I'd be really curious for you to explore is if you actually unpinned you know, what sex meant and, and you took away any expectation you put on yourself or that you imagined your partner put on you. And if it didn't have to mean that you had to like smile or be nice or talk to anyone, like what if it actually didn't mean that at all? Like you don't have to smile. Okay. I, I'm going to give talk. you a really personal example here because okay, I, I really I love, like what I you just said here. Now, this is great because it's like therapy for Miranda. I think I we'll have to do another sentence for <laughs> No, but it's funny that you mentioned that because actually one of my favorite experiences was I was um, laying awake and reading and I was just like, you know, it was morning. I was reading in bed and he just sort of came in and from behind, you know, whatever, entered from behind. And I was just great. And I just kept reading. (laughs) He did his thing and I liked it. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) I could keep reading, which is my favorite thing in the whole world. You can. You did it. Yay. Harlan's just like oh my god (laughs) I love that because what you're saying yeah what you're saying is that you had an experience of actually having sex as you right like as Miranda exactly as you (laughs) are not as the stereotypical good woman or the porn woman or me or Harlan right you had it as you and your sex is going to be very different than mine as it should be right because how you what you enjoy and who you really are and you know, what you naturally do without any pressure or expectations on yourself might be very different. Like, so I'll give you a personal example. For me, I was a heavy sexual performer all throughout my 20s. I've had just like a ton of sex. That's part of why I'm good at this work is I think I've done everything that you could possibly imagine (laughs) doing both, you know, tragically and six and, you know, erotically. Mm -hmm. So as far as like, you know, group sex and like I had an affair and I was like a dominatrix for a while in one of my relationships, never professionally, but you know, I've explored a lot of this stuff. And so all of it though, for me, was very performance-based. So one of the messages that I inherited was that in order for me to be hot, I had to be loud. I had to look good. I had to like rise, you know, I had to do the whole sort of porn star thing so that after sex, he was always really happy and I could tell he was happy. And that gave me some satisfaction. But I would leave the encounter just really being like, did I feel anything? Like, I don't actually know if I even felt that because I was, you know, making so much noise and writhing so much that I don't know if I was really there. All that so noise is me, distracting. I'm, I'm yeah. fine. <laughs> so yeah, what I learned, my actual big time, you know, growth edge in sex was actually to learn how to lie there and do nothing and make no noise. Because that was the thing that I thought I was never allowed. You can't do that in sex, right? It's boring. It's like the dead fish thing that people make fun of with women or that, 
you know, she's not interesting, receptive. Like that was a huge, huge barrier for me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just whatever version that is for you, like I had to really work my ass off to learn how to just lay there and take it and not necessarily give back even through like vocal cues or, you know, these sort of movements that I used to do. And what I found is a way of sex that I actually enjoy way more and that I feel more of. And I think it actually takes, you know, quite a lot of practice to really receive sexual pleasure, especially as women in the way that we like it. Right. It's not like we talked about at the very beginning. I mean, it's not something that we're encouraged to do and especially to like fully receive. So yeah, I invite you to really explore and to nice open the lid on what you think is possible. You know, like what I say all the time is if you can find a consenting person to do it with you, like you're good. Right? So you can say, I want to read, you know, while you go down on me. And it's like, I could think of many people I know who would think that was exceptionally hot and would totally want to do that with you. Okay. It's just all about getting specific with what you want, baby. <laughs> So I got, I've got one more question. We got to start wrapping up here because uh, my son has driver's ed. Ooh, <laughs> exciting. Yeah. So you talk about getting really specific and you talk about saying what you want. Do you have any tips for people to actually start becoming comfortable with that? Because I think that's a big barrier mm-hmm. that a lot of people have is they're uncomfortable vocalizing what they yeah. want or what yeah. they don't want. That's a really good question. Tips. Hmm. Let's see. Or do you just have to practice it? <laughs> Well, you do have to practice it, but um, you know, you do have to practice it, but I will say this is something that I still struggle with. Mm. So like I said, I've been you know doing this work, teaching it for five years extensively. Mm. And the other day or week, I think a couple weeks ago, I was <clears throat> having sex with my partner and I wanted to come. And for me, that's one of the things I was like, I can't ask for that. Right. Partly because of what I described to Miranda at the beginning, which is my version of climax is like, it takes a long time and it's varied and you don't ever really know when it's going to happen. And it, it's not really <laughs> easy to produce. Right. So I feel like when I ask a guy and tell him, Hey, I want to come, it means like you're on the hook for, you know, an undetermined amount of time. <laughs> is that really okay with you? And I can't say when it'll happen and it might not at all. And then, you know, how does that sound, honey? You know, doesn't that sound great? And so I caught myself, though, in that situation that so many of us are in and that I used to be in where I had a desire and I felt really uncomfortable expressing it. So the first thing I want to say is just for us to all know that talking about our sexual desire is really vulnerable. It's vulnerable because it exposes us. It's also vulnerable because our desires, you know, they aren't controllable. They're sort of outside of the neat packaged box that we try to put ourselves in, you know, of being sort of easy to handle and compliant and, you know, whatever the sort of box we try to be in. So to really have respect, I really have respect for talking about desire. The second thing I would say is, yeah, to make a practice of it. And then it actually does take practice. So I have couples go through all sorts of exercises that I teach about how to start asking each other, you know, what do you want? And to actually set up a way of talking about it before you have sex. So this is one of the ways I guess that people could start trying now. And I get that it's a challenge. So I don't want to set it up like just ask for what you want in sex because it's a big, it's, it's right. a big you know, thing to approach. But if you are in a partnership and you do feel comfortable, like here's an example. I was working with a couple and they'd been married for a couple of years. They were in their mid twenties and she really didn't enjoy receiving oral sex from him. And throughout the course of coaching and then working with me, um, I had them try this, which I'm about to tell you, which is before you do a certain sex act to actually tell your partner one or two things that you might want. 
And many of us have never actually done that. So what she said to him was, I don't like it as much when your tongue is pointy and I like it better when it's soft. And that was all she said, right? And it, he was mind blown because he had no idea because she'd never said anything, right? And he was happy to give her what she wanted. And she said from this day forward, she now loves receiving oral sex because he's doing it in a way that actually works for her. So sometimes it can just be one minor little thing, you know, that we are willing to say. You know, even like for me, I often prefer that my partner slows down at different points during sex because when it's just like always hard driving the whole time, like I, that's not how my body enjoys it. As you were describing that, my mind went to the whole slow down thing as well. So <laughs> yeah, interesting. yeah. So it can often be easier before, you know, we get into bed to say, hey, I want to try something new with you or I want to ask for, you know, could we slow down a little bit during this session of sex and see what happens? Mm-hmm. Or you know, would you, whatever, like grab my nipples harder because I actually like that, like them touched harder and you tend to touch them softer than I want, you know? Mm-hmm. And so those tiny little, you know, you know moments, especially before, because once we get in the act, it can be really hard um, for us to change or stop it or we're afraid we're going to offend our partner, stuff like that. So saying the tiny thing and then also, you know, really setting up a relationship. Like if you're in a long-term relationship, of repeatedly asking each other what you want. Like make it easy for your partner, right? Say, hey, if I could make our sex life better for you, like what's one or two things you want that you haven't said to me? Like it's, hmm. it can be really simple, right? And then you say it back and then say, hmm, okay, I'm interested in trying some of those. Like how might we do that? Like, again, when we remove this whole performance idea, we can just be two adults who are having a conversation just like, hey, what dinner do you like? Do you like tamales or would you rather have empanadas? You know, what are you in the mood for? And it's, it's not this big deal, right? It's, it's just something that we can do together to get towards more radical fulfillment. I like that. Radical fulfillment. Thank you so much for being on, Bez. Uh, if you could remind our watchers, our listeners, our audience, where they can find you and let them know how to get a hold of you. So my website is my name, bezstone.com. So you're welcome to go there. There's all sorts of information. I gave a TEDx talk a couple of years ago about feminine orgasm. You can find that on my website. There's also a way to contact me. So there's a, you know, if you go over to the contact menu, there's a little form you can fill out, go straight to my email. I'll get back to you. The other thing you can do is come find me on Facebook because I go live every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Super fun. I answer people's questions. It's about a half an hour. People love it. You know, lots of people come on and you can even send me questions beforehand that I'll answer then. The big purpose of my Facebook Live in the morning is that I debunk some myth about sex that's really prevalent in common sex advice. So, you know, the very first one I did was men like more sex than women. And I basically talk about, you know, why isn't that true? So we debunk myths there. That's a great way to find me. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. You can find all of those links um, on my website, bestone.com. Okay, great. Thank you so much for coming. And remember to check out adulting.tv for more videos, podcast episodes, and articles about a wide variety of subjects, including dating, relationships, and sex. And don't forget to join our Facebook community, uh, hashtag adulting on Facebook, and be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And until the next time we see you, remember to act like a grown-up. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv. Adulting.